have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do join me in the book of Exodus, chapter number 13 and verse 17. Exodus 13 and 17. In the winter of 2012 and 13, somewhere during that winter, I was assigned the responsibility of listening to a a number of sermons for the purpose of critiquing them for a seminar on, on preaching. One, one of those sermons was from Exodus 14, and it was titled, Getting Out. That's where the title for this sermon series came from. So I thought I would uh, multitask one evening, and uh, while running, since I'd found audio versions of those sermons I would otherwise have to read, I would listen and be prepared to critique. Now, if you start listening to a sermon with a mind to critique the sermon... The likelihood of receiving much nourishment for your soul is probably not very good. So a word of encouragement to you on the beginning of this message. But, but your likelihood of being nurtured by a sermon is, is lessened all the more when you're running and listening to critique the message. But I, I remember that evening listening to the reading of Exodus 14. This is the Exodus event. We, we're studying the book of Exodus. But this morning we're studying the Exodus. And hearing the account of what God did in the nation of Israel, how he saved Israel out of their Egyptian experience, and and thinking about the way God had saved me out of my own experience with bondage and 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 you name, I mean death and slavery and sin the struggle, how God called me out of my Egypt and, and through the agony in my legs and the sharp pain in my chest and all of the distractions, being so moved by God at what he has done for me through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and I, I hope that if not in the exposition of this text, just through the reading of this text, that you'll meditate on the way God has brought you out on what God has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Exodus 13, beginning in verse number 17. If you found your way there, let's stand together out of respect and honor for the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, beginning in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid and you must take my bones with you from this place. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night has never left its place in front of the people. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi-haharoth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they're wandering around in the land of confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. 
Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him, 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horsemen and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Paharoth in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them, and the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who is going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night, so neither group came near the other all night. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. And so the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen, and went into the sea after them. And during the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw them into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground, with waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. What God has done for Israel, he has promised through his son, Jesus Christ, to do for you. I really do believe with all of my heart that what you see in the Exodus event provides us with a pattern, a foreshadowing of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. In essence, the call of the gospel is to come out, to come out from the community that you've called your own, to come away from the identity that you have established for yourself, to come away from the security afforded you by your, your familiarity with the world and your experiences there, and to come into the community that is the kingdom of God and his people, to embrace for yourself a new identity in Jesus Christ, to find your security, your, your, your settledness in the promised peace that comes only through Jesus Christ. The calling of the gospel to repent and believe is, in essence, a call to get out. Out of this world's experience, to come away from your Egyptian bondage and into the kingdom of the Son of God's great love. That is the call of the gospel. And anytime I think that anyone begins to think carefully about this, there'll be times when you talk with people about the call of the gospel when maybe there's not as much care in considering what the gospel calls us to or what the gospel is really offering us through Jesus. But when there's careful consideration of the gospel and its demands on our life, there are certain fears that begin uh, to sort of creep up. Can we make it? Can I make it on the other side? If I answer the gospel call to Exodus to cross over, what will, what will life on the other side look like for me? I, I have a community over here. I have an identity established for myself. There's a certain sense of safety that comes with life on this side. But if I cross over, I don't know so much what that experience is going to look like. Even more fundamentally, there can be the question of whether or not I am good enough or I am capable of crossing over, of, of entering into that kingdom people. In our terminology, can, am I good enough to be a Christian person? I think Exodus 13 and 14 helps us to sort of alleviate some of those fears and answers quite powerfully some of those questions. I want you to note first that if you get out of your Egyptian experience, if you get out, you'll get out with the provision of God. Look at chapter 13 and verse number 20. The Bible says there, They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. They're, they're coming out with the provision of God. God is providing for their needs in supernatural ways as they make their exodus from Egypt. As you get out, what you'll experience is that God provides for the needs that we have along the way. God was there in a pillar of cloud by day in order that there'd be shade in the hottest parts of the day. They were able to travel even beyond Exodus 13. God remains with the people of Israel. Even during 40 years of wilderness wandering, he was a cloud of shade by day and a pillar of fire for direction by night. He never left their side. 
In a myriad of ways, God provided for the needs of his people as their exodus continued. When they groaned in hunger, God gave manna from heaven. When they groaned at manna, God gave them quail for meat. When they thirsted in the wilderness, God gave them water from the rock. Now, God doesn't always meet the need in a timely way, at least from our perspective, but he always meets the need. There's a resounding reminder here, a note of encouragement, that God is faithful to provide for the needs of his people. If you were listening carefully or reading critically, when we read verse number 19, you might have wondered where that came from. It seems a little disjointed, doesn't exactly fit the flow of our narrative here. But verse 19 and its reminder is actually very powerful in this context. Look at verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid, then you must take my bones with you from this place. 400 years ago, Israel had made its way down to Egypt under Joseph. In fact, Joseph is sold into slavery, and that's how he ultimately winds up in Egypt. But with his dying wish, he charged the people of Israel that one day when God comes to redeem his people from Egyptian bondage, back to the promised land, when they go back to a land that flows with milk and honey, they, they swore to him, they were to swear to him, make a solemn oath, that they would take his bones with them. This box of Joseph's 400-year-old bones traveling with the army of Israel was a reminder that God is always faithful to keep his promise. So he did to Israel, and so he does with us. When your Pharaoh lets you go, when you determine to get out of your Egyptian bondage, you will go with the provision of God, knowing that God is always faithful to keep his promises. Now, what happens later in our passage when the Israelites are backs against the wall with the Egyptian army bearing down on them? They say, God, you know, we probably should have just stayed in Egypt. It would have been better to serve Pharaoh in Egypt than to die here in the wilderness. Moses, we told you before we ever left, this wasn't going to go well. They, they revert back to their Egyptian ways. And this is, this is why the promise of God's faithfulness is precious to us. If, if we're going to get out, if you're going to cross over, then you're going to have to trust the unseen over what you know by your personal experience. Now, there's a note of encouragement at the end of our passage here. But what you're being invited to in Jesus is an experience that you don't know. You may observe some things and people around you, there may be Christian people in your life, and you see God's faithfulness to them, but you have yourself never lived on the other side. You don't know personally what it will be like if you cross over. But I want you to know that the Bible says, and it's crystal clear in our passage and a thousand other places, that on the other side, God is faithful to keep his promise, to provide for the needs of his people. If you get out, you'll get out with the provision of God. Secondly, when we get out, we, we get out according to the plan of God. This is a, an encouraging part of our passage as well. N notice how God is moving the people of Israel. Go back to verse 17 of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. Now here's the thing that's interesting about that. 
God says, I'm not going to lead them the way the Philistines because war with the Philistines would unsettle their souls. They would turn back to Egypt. But he doesn't keep them from war with the Egyptians. He doesn't lead them by the road to the Philistines, but he leads them to the dead-end path toward the Red Sea. And there they are positioned between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea with nowhere else to go. He says, you're not ready for the Philistines, but you're going to have to face down the Egyptians. What God was leading them to do here, the direction that God had led them here, was strange. It was, it was really weird. In fact, in verse 3, the Bible says, Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they're wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. When you come out according to God's plan, it won't always make good sense. Pharaoh was confounded at the path that the Israelites took, but it was the path that God ordained Israel to travel in their Exodus experience. God has made a plan for us. He marks our path. Not one scintilla of your life has escaped his attention. Not one hair of your head. God knows who we are, and he knows where we are, and he knows what he's up to in our life, and he's made a plan accordingly. Is this encouraging to you? Yes. <laughs> next, next week, I'm, I'm going to turn 38 years old, which seems really old to me. So here's what that means, and here's why that's relevant to the message this morning. So as of, as of next week at 38, I will have lived half of my life following Jesus and the first half of my life doing everything except following Jesus. And, and here, here's, what I've, here's, here's what I think about that. The first 19 years of my life doing everything except following Jesus have contributed as much to who I am today, the nature of my ministry, the development of, of me as a person in general, and the ways that God would be pleased to use me for kingdom advancement as the latter half. The, the, point, the point here is this, that by the power of God, he is so often pleased to take our mess and to use it for his glory. Your, your junk is redeemable. And, and, and as much as I would go back and undo a million, uh, millions and billions of decisions that were made on that side of my life, I wouldn't take anything in this world for what God has used those circumstances to do in my life. The path that God leads us doesn't always make good sense, but it always serves his purpose. Isn't that the case? When God saved you, when God saved me, it wasn't the culmination of five minutes in the buildup to my conversion. It was the culmination of nearly 20 years of God through the circumstances of life, through some victories and a whole lot of heartaches, conditioning my heart to receive the good seed of the gospel, preparing me for everything that would come after that moment in the rest of my life. You may not always understand your plan, and your plan will be mysterious and confounding to the world around you, but God is up to something in your life. Every step along the way, God possesses the ability to use for your good and for his glory, whether we're able to see it along the way or not. Here, he doesn't lead them in the direction of the Philistines, but he does lead them down the dead-end road that leads them to the Red Sea. God brought them out at the right time. God brought them out in the right direction. And God brought them out under the right circumstances. 
Are you encouraged by that? Now note that the Egyptian army did come for them. It is unreasonable to expect that as you make your exodus, that the enemy will not fight for you. If, if you think getting out means doing so unscathed or without difficulty, you've got another thing coming. It is quite one thing to say that God provides for our needs along the way and, and, and to say that it's going to be an easy path. Jesus said there's a broad and easy way, but it leads to destruction. There's a narrow and straight gate that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are difficulties. There are hardships following the plan that God has made for our life. There are challenges that await us. Here, the, the faith of Israel is, is tested, but it proves to be for their good and for God's glory. As they're pressing through, Egyptians bearing down, they don't fare so well in this examination. But the experience itself in the end proves to strengthen their faith in the faithfulness of God. As what they once only saw with eyes of faith, they begin to see with eyes of sight. Because along the way, God is fighting for them, providing for their needs. He has a plan and a purpose as to why he works the way he works in our life. If you get out, you do so with the provision of God. When you get out, you get out according to the plan of God. Thirdly, when you get out, you get out by the power of God. Anytime that I have the chance to share with someone about the gospel, and their response to me centers around the things that they've done or the things that they will do, it's always an indication that they don't really understand the gospel. For instance, if I say to a person, are you a Christian? And they say something like, I'm trying. I, I know automatically that they do not understand the gospel. Because the Israelites did not come out by their own strength, by their wisdom, and the power of their collect, collective army. The Israelites came out by the power of God. And brothers and sisters, if you are to make an exodus from your Egyptian bondage, it will not be in your own personal strength. It will not be the product of your own personal wisdom. It will be by the power of God. The New Testament tells us that we make our exodus uh, not by works, lest any man should boast, but by faith, through grace, grace that God alone would be greatly honored. The exodus is brought about entirely by the power of God. In fact, there's this abrupt shift that happens. Look to verse 13. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He'll provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. And then in verse 15, the Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? It's almost as though Moses is praying on behalf of the Israelite people the way he does over and over and over again. And God says, Moses, get up. You know, there's some things you don't need to pray about. God's already provided an answer. God says, Moses, no sense in praying about this. The plan has been set in motion. It, this is not a time to cry out. This is a time to get up and to gird yourself. This is the time to cross over. This is the time to make your uh, exodus. Tell the Israelites to break camp. Lift your hand, lift your staff over the sea, and the waters will part. This was not Moses' magical power. This was the power of God. 
as the waters parted, the east wind blew, the bed of the Red Sea was made dry. Walls of water stood to the right and left of the people of Israel, and they crossed over. God parted the waters. God saved Israel. God judged Egypt. It was God who brought them out. They did not come out by their own power. Only God can bring you out. But rest assured, he has the power to do so. God brought Israel out of their bondage in this incredible miracle, parting the Red Sea waters and delivering them through on dry ground. Even as the Israelites are brought through safely, so the Egyptians are brought under judgment by the very waters once parted for the salvation of Israel. He brings them down into the bed of the sea and the waters are returned to their depths. The wheels of their chariots are made to swerve. Egypt, Israel rather, not only knows its salvation that day, but is able to look directly upon the judgment of the Egyptian army floating about in the Red Sea or dying there on the shores of the Red Sea. God brought them out by his power. Look to verse 29. The Bible says the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now when Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Now here's the good news. For for those of you who are coming out, who are getting out of your Egyptian experience and you're walking through walls of water on dry ground, but you're doing so with fear and trembling, the experience of getting out, the Exodus experience itself, And the the radical change that begins to take place in you has the effect ultimately of strengthening your faith. In other words, what you once only knew by faith, you're now beginning to get a bit of a glimpse by sight. Whereas you once only had an Egyptian experience to evaluate life against. Now in Jesus, after your exodus, you're beginning to see the fruit of that experience. You're beginning to experience in your everyday life that yes, God is faithful. God does provide for the needs of his people. Yes, God does have a plan for my life. Yes, I have come out by the power of God. God is good. The Israelites are brought out by God through faith. And that faith is strengthened by the experience of coming out. In other words, as the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord our God is good. You will be tempted this morning to say with the Israelites, we should have just stayed back in Egypt. At least we knew what Egypt held for us. But I will promise you this morning, money back guarantee a thousand times over. That if you remain in your Egyptian bondage, bondage is all you'll ever know. That what God has given us through Jesus Christ is better than anything that Egypt could ever afford to offer. There are mere counterfeits over there. What, What Egypt offers only entices, but it cannot satisfy. What we have in Jesus is living water, living bread salvation for our soul, forgiveness for our sin. I wouldn't trade what I have in Jesus for a thousand experiences in Egypt. But you're going to have to come away, and it's going to be scary. You'll wonder how you can make it. 
how, how can I face down the people that I've known all my life who've watched me live the way I've lived, make the decisions that I've made for all my life? How am I going to make it? God provides. How in the world could the set of circumstances under which I'm living ever be used to bring honor to God? Well, how in the world could God glorify himself by leading the army of Israel down a dead sea road, dead end road to the Red Sea? And that's kind of crazy. Can you imagine what the Israelites were thinking? God's leading us out. Pharaoh's finally let us go. And then you get to the Red Sea. And here we are. God in his faithfulness to his people moves behind the people of Israel in a pillar of cloud. Stations himself between the enemy army and the people of God provides for them in, in a miracle, perhaps second only to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the parting of the Red Sea and his people pass through on dry ground. The, the invitation this morning is to taste and to see. This idea that, that God brings us out by his power, it, it, it dispels pride in the face of the gospel. You know, the whole notion of trying to be a Christian is so antithetical to the gospel. But, it, but it, it's prevalent because it appeals to our arrogance, our pridefulness. We really want to believe that we're contributing something to our salvation. We, we don't like the idea that salvation is of the Lord and of the Lord alone because we're encouraged at the notion that we might do something to rescue ourselves. It appeals to the independent mind that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we do something to improve our station in life. Brothers and sisters, it is the power of God and the power of God alone that may bring us out. Can I, can, I want to show you something that I've made reference to, but we've not looked directly at. If you would, take your Bibles and turn over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse number 28. Luke 9, 28. This is the Mount of Transfiguration passage in Luke's gospel. And the Bible says, about eight days after these words, he took along Peter, John, and James and went upon the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, here in verse 31, I'll focus there for a moment. There is a specific Greek word that's used often and everywhere for death. But it's not the Greek word that's used for death in verse number 31. In fact, this is a bad translation. Some of your translations will say departure. But what, I, what I'd like to do so that you get the gist of what I, I, I want to communicate here is just read verse 31 again with the actual Greek word in the place of death, and I think you'll see quickly the connection that's being made. Verse 31 said, They appeared in glory and were speaking of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The people of Israel were brought out by the power of God 
through the Exodus. If you are to get out of your Egyptian experience, it'll be because you have been brought out by the Exodus of Jesus Christ. Becoming a Christian, getting out in the language of this morning's message, is not about what you must do. It is about what Jesus has done. That 2,000 years ago, the only begotten Son of God gave his life as a ransom for many. That he became our substitute on the cross. In the same way the Red Sea was parted, so the veil was rent. Access to the Father was granted through the shedding of Christ's blood. They killed our Savior on the cross. The only one who's ever fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law died as a sinner on the cross in order that God might look upon us as though we had fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. They buried his bruised and battered body in a garden grave. And on the third day, Jesus, once lifeless, began to breathe again. And he beckons even this morning that through his exodus, through his death and resurrection, we would believe on him, get out of our Egyptian experience, and come to him by faith and know life everlasting that can only be afforded us through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus has done for us. Your exodus is not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's about crossing over by faith in Jesus Christ. It's about the finished work of our Savior who bled and died for us. I say this often enough. I really shouldn't say that this is an underestimated part of the gospel in our preaching anymore because, well, I'm working to alleviate that. But I don't think we talk nearly enough about the promise of the gospel that we simply don't have to live the way we have lived anymore. And, and your new life is not about your personal determination. This is not about self-help. This is not about mustering the strength to press through our addictions. This is about leaning hard into the strength of our Savior, who by his power grants us a new heart as we cross over by faith. The work of our salvation is finished in Jesus, and don't you ever, ever, ever forget it. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad for that? This is really unlike anything the world knows. In, in the world, it's run, it's, it's work, it's hustle, it's get after it, and this is how you find salvation and satisfaction and fulfillment for yourself. But Jesus has said, Come unto me, you weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.